Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm pretty sure this is what Elon Musk is doing right now. I just envision him somewhere across the world right now. This is what Elon is doing. Actually, this is... This is what he was doing a month ago when he was only worth $20 billion instead of the $39.3 billion that he's worth right now. He has literally doubled his net worth in the course of a couple months. He has increased his net worth more than any other individual in the world over the past three months. Anyone. Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, not even close. Tesla is on an absolute tear. The stock goes up with double digit, not even double digit, it goes up 20, 30% day by day sometimes with really no end in sight. You look at this five-year graph, and it's it's just incredible to look at. We have it nearly flat. It's it's a pretty volatile company, so these are actually pretty big dips and spikes in it. But regardless, overall, it's it's pretty flat over the past four years. And then all of a sudden, we hit right here, and it's up 300%. So Tesla's on a tear. A lot of people want to know, what do we do now? What does this mean? Is the company overvalued? Some people are saying the stock is going to get absolutely clobbered. I'm going to be talking a little bit about this, what to think for people that are invested currently in it and people that have sat out. Other news, we have Disney. They had a positive earnings report, 26.5 million Disney Plus subscribers. I'm going to be talking about this and how it stacks up with other streaming services. And then we have emails. I have one from Jack Hare, who he's looking to have a a change of career. So he believes that the field that he's working in, the thing that he's doing is becoming obsolete. And he's wanting my advice on what he should go into. So I'm going to be giving some advice to Jack. Hopefully we can help him out a little bit. And of course, we also have my portfolio. I'm going to be giving an update on what's going on with this. First of all, let's start off with a portfolio update. This is my personal portfolio. It is a dividend growth portfolio. I have 52 holdings. Of those, I have five different bond ETFs. And then the rest, the 47, are dividend growth companies. So I have all these different companies. Every single one of them pays dividends. All those dividends get accumulated into my cash balance, and then they get reinvested back into my portfolio. That is the basis of the strategy. As they get reinvested back in the portfolio, they purchase more shares. Those additional shares pay dividends that pay more cash that get reinvested back in the portfolio. And there you see compounding happen. Now, that is the strategy. I've been tracking this month over month. In December, I earned about $343. So that's the last month that I have recorded. We're going to find out how much I earned in January. It's going to be a lot lower. It'll probably be less than half as much in December because of the companies I own. Not a lot of them pay on on January. A lot of them pay on December. But regardless, the goal of this portfolio has always been passive income. And I just want to clarify something real quick. So we have on YouTube a trend where people see things become popular. If you look at my channel, it has a lot of subscribers. Now, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I'm just saying that the channel has become quite a bit more popular. There's been a lot of people that have tried to mimic it and mimic the strategy. And I'm glad that they do. I think that dividend investing is a wonderful thing. I try to get people to do sensible investing strategies that are long-term, that are conservative, that will keep you invested during a downturn. And I believe that dividend growth investing fits with, with those goals. So it's something that I like to see people doing that. But I want to just clarify something. Passive income to me is not some marketing gimmick. It's not something that I, I do because of YouTube. 
I started this portfolio. If we go ahead here and we look at when I started it, December 18th of 2017. If I go and I look at my YouTube, the first video I uploaded was February 7th of 2019. So if I go back to here and I go to February 7th of 2019, right about here, that's when I uploaded my first video. I had been doing dividend growth investing with this portfolio titled as passive income for over a year before ever uploading my first YouTube video. The reason that I have a goal of passive income is because I want to have my portfolio subsidize my cost of living. That's the goal. It's not some marketing gimmick. It's not some YouTube thing that I'm doing as a side thing to show you how I would invest if I were to really do this, but I really have other investment accounts elsewhere that I do other strategies. No, this is my main goal. This is the reason that I started the portfolio. None of this is a gimmick to me. This $75,000 invested in it, that's a lot of money to me. That is my biggest investment account by far. In fact, I only have one other investment account, and that is my Roth IRA that has $7,000 in it. So there's no hidden Vanguard account where I have millions of dollars in it, and then this is just some side thing that I'm doing. So I want to make sure people know that, that this strategy is something that I do because it's my chosen strategy. It's something that I really believe in. So I just wanted to be clear about that. I'm not doing this portfolio as a a way to garner clicks, to appease you guys. I love you guys, but I'm not basing my investments and the things that I'm doing based off of what I think will, will enable me to have the biggest audience. So that's never been the goal of it. And honestly, if that was the goal, I don't think one of the most boring investment strategies that exist, which is dividend growth investing, is the way to do that. If you look at the companies that I own, I can go to some like here, Costco is an example of one of the companies I talk about the most. And Costco is quite literally one of the most boring companies that exists. It never makes the news. Nothing ever happens with this company. That's the reason that I like it as an investment. I think it is an amazing company that I love owning. I've done entire episodes analyzing just this company, Costco. So obviously, if the goal is to try to create the most excitement and base my investments off of that, then I would be picking a different strategy and I'd definitely be picking different companies. But that's never been the goal. It'll never be the goal. The goal that I have is pretty simple. I want to make the most money and passive income over a long time period. I want to see the amount of money that I'm making month over month grow until I have a sizable stream of passive income. So all of this is real. This is all completely real. That's another thing that we do a little bit different here. There's no Photoshop here. There's no airbrush. Everything is is completely real, completely transparent. I show you how much money I make. I show you how much money I've deposited. I look at every single holding I have. When I'm in the red, I have tweets showing days that I'm down $800, $900 for the day, or days that I'm in the green. So as you follow this, I'm going to continue to show the good and bad of the portfolio whether we go into a recession and the portfolio goes down a lot or whether we continue with this bull market. So either way, you're just going to see how this thing turns out. But regardless, I thought that that would be uh, an important thing to clarify. Okay, so enough of that tangent. Let's actually go into the portfolio and how it's performing. We've been floating around the same number, right around 10,000. I think it was up at 11,000 at one point. Again, the market gains, they, they come and they go. Difficult to get a solid read on that. All I know is the dividends are happening. The dividends are coming in pretty steadily. If I look at the graph here, you can see the latest data that I have is the $343 that I earned in December. January will be substantially lower. So it'll be somewhere down here. It'll be a very low month. The companies that I own, less of them pay out in January. But regardless, the trend here, I want to get it to where I'm earning above $400 by the end of 2020. That's the goal. That's what I want to have happen with this portfolio. 
Now, the returns have been pretty good. We had some dividends come in at the tail end of January. So January is a very bad month for dividends. But if I filter here, I have on the 31st of January, I had four different dividends come in and one negative dividend. This throws a lot of people off, but I'll go through these. JP Morgan paid 15 bucks. LTC Properties paid $9. New Residential Investment Corp. That is a mortgage REIT. They have a business model where they pay a high amount of cash flow. It has an insanely high yield of like 11 or 12%. It paid $71. So that's a lot of money, but they cut their dividends all the time. But typically it's still a high yield after they cut it. So it'll be like 9% instead of 12. But they paid $71. TD, Toronto Dominion Bank. This is a Canadian bank, paid $7.73. And I got a negative dividend from TD for $1.16. All this means is that I got taxed from Canada. So I paid $1.16 in taxes to Canada. That is the price I have to pay because the treaty that the U.S. has with Canada is when we're paid a dividend, we pay 15% right as we're paid the dividend. And then the U.S. says, hey, we want to encourage investments across with Canada. And we both have a treaty with each other where we don't tax each other twice. So that's the only taxes I pay on this. $1.16 is 15% of this money. And it nets out there. Now, we also have just on the third, we have AT&T that just paid $34 and we have Verizon that paid $17. I'm trying to put more money in AT&T. I think that it's a good one to have in the future and it, it pays really good amounts of dividends, but that got reinvested back in today and that's what's going on with the portfolio. I'll keep you up to date with it. Now, one other thing I want to mention before moving on to the news is on my YouTube page here, there's a community tab. And I like this because it gets sent out right to my subscribers. So if you're subscribed to the channel, you'll see this. Now, I put a poll out. Every once in a while, I like to do a thing where I, I get your guys' input on things. So I'll put out questionnaires or polls and get your opinion. And I put one out that said, the markets on Monday will open. And it had two different options. It'll open in the green or it'll open in the red. So I put this out three days ago before Monday. And a lot of you are, are kind of silly because you kept filling out the poll after Monday's open. But at the time of Monday's open, 70% of you said in the red, 30% said in the green. So 70% of you were wrong saying that the market would open in the red and I would be in that category as well. So I could pretend like I had some special vision of how the market would open and that I guessed in the green. But if I'm being honest with you guys, I would have likely said that the market would open in the red this week. If you look at the bad news, we had all this terrible news coming out of China all the past week, I went over all of it. And a lot of times that gives you the impression that you know what direction the market's going to open. This is just a reminder that nobody has any idea what way the market will open. Guessing if it's going to open in the red or the green is literally a coin flip. This survey, I would have had the same amount of valuable information. And this is not offensive to anybody. I'm not saying you guys are, are dumb or don't know what you're talking about. I'm saying nobody can guess the market me included. This survey is about as valuable as me saying that I have a coin in my hand. I'm going to flip it. Is it going to land on heads or tails? That's about as good of an estimator of what direction the market's going to open as all the analysis that you can do. On such a short timeline, it's impossible to tell what direction the market's going to go. Over a long period of time, you can get more accurate with it. So there's things that you can do to extrapolate with economic factors and say that most likely over the next couple of years, it's going to go this direction, but not with one day, not with one week. It's literally impossible to tell. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about Tesla. This stock is really interesting. 
It's interesting whenever I talk about Tesla, whenever I do a video on it, I've done a couple episodes in the past when I've talked about Tesla, their autopilot. I did one where I talked about the uh, the truck that they had, the Cybertruck. I did an episode on that. And it's interesting the reaction that I see with this company. It's something different than when I talk about any other company. And it goes along with my idea that Tesla is more than just a company. Elon Musk is more than just a CEO. There is a cult persona that goes along with this company. The thing that I notice about Tesla is that whenever I talk about it, it's very divisive. There's two sides to it. There's not people that look at it as just a company. They look at it as either you're on Tesla's side or you're against Tesla. I have people, whenever I say something critical of Tesla, like the autopilot, I highlighted some issues that it was having. And I had a lot of people that were bullish on Tesla saying that I explained incorrectly or saying that I, um, I'm too bearish on it. I had people when I I did the episode where I talked about Elon Musk and how I admired his work ethic and the fact that he became a billionaire by reinvesting back into different projects and not just retiring with $100 million. And I had people email me and message me on Twitter and stuff saying, here's all this bad stuff about Elon Musk that you didn't mention. Why are you bullish on this company? Just a fanboy of it. It's the type of thing that I see with politics. It's like you're part of your tribe. You're either in the pro-Tesla tribe or the anti-Tesla tribe. It's just an interesting dynamic to see that I don't see in any other company. And it makes sense that Tesla, being this type of company, would be the most shorted stock in the US. So a lot of people are against this company, hoping that the value goes down. And a lot of people are very bullish on this company. Now, I've said so in the past that I like Tesla. I hope that it succeeds. I hope that Elon Musk does well. I think that it's actually a cool car company. In the US, I don't feel like we have any cool car companies outside of Tesla. Europe has all of them. They have a lot of cool car companies. Japan has a lot of cool car companies. Tesla is one that I think is a pretty cool company. I really like the products they sell. I hope the company does really well. So when I see the stock go up, even though I'm not a shareholder of it, it's something that I'm not upset about. I'm excited that the company's getting support and I hope that it continues to do well in the future. Now, having said that, we're looking at this graph here. This is the last five years of Tesla. It was pretty flat until just previously. It's gone up quite a bit since then. If I go to the one year mark here, we can go to the low point here. June 3rd of 2019, I believe that was the low point. From there, it's up 395%. That's since June of 2019. If I just go to year to date, this is just 2020 and it's up 106% give or take. It's been bouncing around 110%, 106%. It's up over 100% in just year to date. So this stock is going up like crazy. Now, anytime that this happens, there's a lot of different thoughts. You have people that are saying this stock is going to get clobbered. It's gone up too much. Why is it going up so much? It needs to come back down. People are out of their minds buying it. You're going to see a lot of talk like that. And then you have people that are very bullish on it that believe that this stock hasn't even gotten started. This is Ron Barron. He's a billionaire who has been bullish on Tesla for a long time, and he still remains heavily bullish on Tesla even after it's run up. Just in terms of discipline in maintaining a portfolio, do you lighten up on any of that position at all? Because you think, you know, I still have a large position even if I sell a little and book some gains. Or no, you're holding the whole thing. Not a share. Not a single share. No. And in fact, one of the portfolio managers was speaking to me yesterday, and he said, Ron, shouldn't we sell a little bit? I said, I'm not selling anything. This is the very beginning of when Tesla's get started. Well, so here's question. I'm Ten, hoping we get more assets so we can buy more stock. So she asks him, look, you made all this money. It went up 87% in just a month. Don't you want to take some of those gains? Isn't that the thing that you do as an investor? You buy something that goes up in value and then you sell when you take gains. 
And he goes, no, not even a share. I don't even want to sell a single share of it. Not only that, I wish I had more assets so I could buy more. At the current trading price, he wishes he could buy more. That's somebody that believes in the company Tesla. That's somebody that's not a day trader. He's not looking to make a quick buck. He wants to have ownership as much as he can in a company that he thinks is going to grow and be the future. He thinks that this company is going to be successful. Now, while the Tesla bulls are off celebrating right now, I imagine them just dancing like Elon at the, the beginning of this episode. That's how I imagine most Tesla bulls right now, people that have bought the stock. That's what I what that's what I just envision them doing currently. But at the same time, we have the group of Tesla bears, people that are short on the stock, people that don't like the stock. They're not so thrilled about the latest events with Tesla. One of them, Matt Malley, says Tesla has gone parabolic. This is taking Tesla well above a level that would be supported by its current fundamentals. The stock is going to get absolutely clobbered at some point before long. So this is the theme that you'll see with people that are critics of the current price of the stock. They'll say that it doesn't follow fundamentals, that the current price doesn't support the sales or or anything that's happening. What you're seeing here is a breakdown between the difference of, of qualitative research and quantitative research. People like Matt Malley are looking at quantitative research. They're looking at the math behind the company. They're saying that the current sales, the current revenue, the growth don't support right now the price of Tesla. So that's their perspective. What the Tesla bulls arguments would be, would be, well, you're not factoring in the exuberance and love behind this product. You're not factoring in the people working on it. You're not factoring in the the fact that people want to shift from old gas cars to new energy electric ones, that people want to own Tesla over Ford or GM's electric vehicles. They believe that there's all this qualitative stuff about Tesla that makes it distinctly worth more than just the quantitative research you can do on it. Now, as far as my thoughts on this, what I'll say is you can look at both sides. People are going to believe in Tesla. They're going to put money in it. They're going to buy the company. I think that's generally what you should do is buy shares of companies that you think that they will be the future and they'll be highly relevant in five plus years. But price really is important. If you look at this, as the price goes up over and over again, it shifts the balance of risk versus reward. So as it goes up over and over again, you're getting less potential reward and more potential risk. So right now, buying a share of Tesla for nearly $900, you have a lot more downside than you did just a month ago. That's all I'll say is really think about the company if you think it's going to be the future Because what you don't want to do is just dive into something with hype where you're not really bought into it. And then when it goes down in value down to $300, you sell out of it. So make sure if it's something you want to buy, you're really bought into this company. That you really believe it is the future. You've done your research on it. Don't just jump into it because of hype. It is tempting to do that. You have the FOMO, the fear of missing out. That is a common thing that gets people to dive into these type of events. So just be wary of that. Look at the risk and reward. As the price goes up, the potential reward goes down, the risk goes up. So just keep that in mind. Now, moving on from that, we have Disney. This is a company that I do own, that I'm very bullish on. I think Disney is a great company to own. I like the products they make. I like the direction they're going. So they estimated by the end of 2024, they would have 60 to 90 million subscribers. And here they are already one quarter into that having 26.5 million subscribers. So So currently they have surpassed their estimations. They're not revising their estimation on it though. They want to play it conservative. They're saying, hey, we got a lot of subscribers so far that might slow down a little bit. So we're not revising anything. But regardless, 26.5 million subscribers in a few months is quite, quite a lot. Now, a lot of people say, well, you offered a lot of free subscribers. That's the same plan that Netflix did. 
when people sign up for things because of Verizon, because of T-Mobile and different deals that they do, a lot of them keep those subscriptions. So that is the reason that they do them. If companies had a problem where as soon as you're done with the trial, 90% of you canceled, they would never offer free trials. The reason that they offer you free trials is because most people just keep paying for it once it's done. Once it becomes a part of their life, they keep paying for it. Now, Bob Iger did an interview where he talks about a lot of the concerns that a lot of people leave Disney after they were done watching The Mandalorian. He says no. They didn't notice any kind of substantial churn after The Mandalorian was done, and they have a lot of content in the pipeline coming out. So he addressed that part. He says that they're on track with their subscriber goals, that they've had very positive reception. He says the goal is not what Netflix does with the shotgun approach of putting out as much content as possible, but rather it's to focus on quality. Now, judging by the total subscriber amount, I can put up this chart here and show you how they stack up with each other, the different streaming services. We have Netflix in the lead, then HBO, and then Hulu, and then Disney+. Plus. So Disney+, Plus is off to a pretty good start. I think it will continue to do well in the future. Okay, that's enough news for today. Let's get to some emails here. Joseph Carlson Show at gmail.com. That is Joseph Carlson Show at gmail.com. You're free to email in any questions, concerns, criticisms that you have. The first one is Jack. I teased this email at the beginning of the episode, but Jack Hare is in a situation. So let me go ahead and read this email. He says, Hi, Joseph. Very much enjoy your investing videos. I have 100K invested at the moment and around 50K sitting in the sidelines and waiting for a dip lull. He says laugh out loud there because that's a lot of money sitting on the sides. But he says, although I'm still renting, I don't own a property. Anyway, I wanted to ask your opinion as I'm stuck for a career direction in my life. I'm 38. I've been working as a data center operative for the past 10 years. Things like cabling, racking, hardware troubleshooting. The industry I'm in seems to be dying and I wanted to move into something like cloud, but have no idea where to start. I'm somewhat technical and have done programming in the past. Basically, I don't want to put a lot of effort into learning something that doesn't have a demand in the job market. And so I wanted to ask you what knowledge and skills you think will continue to have demand in the future. I'm asking this since you mentioned in some of your videos that you're a programmer and see commercial exposure in this area, as you mentioned AWS. If you were to pick a programming language to start with, knowing what you know now, where would you start? Python? Previously, I've done C, a tiny bit of C++ and C Sharp. I'm not really looking to become a programmer, just trying to figure out a career path. I really appreciate that this is outside the scope of your investment channel, so I understand if you don't reply. Thank you and keep up the good work. Okay, Jack, well, I'm glad that you wrote in. Hopefully, we can help you out a little bit here. Um, First of all, though, before jumping into your email and going over my advice on the subject, I want to address one thing. You said at the end there, I appreciate that this is outside the scope of your investing channel, so I understand if you don't reply. Don't worry about scope of investing channel or if your questions fit nicely into some arbitrary mold of investing. As far as scope is concerned, this is the Joseph Carlson show. My scope is whatever I'm interested in talking about. So that's the scope of the show. I had one part of one episode where I talked about the ending of Game of Thrones and how I thought it should have ended. So that should give you an idea of what the scope of the channel is. But this is something I'm interested in helping you find a good career path to move into. Now, the first thing, Jack, when I read through your email and I look at the the question here, you're 38 years old. You believe that a data center operative doing things like cabling, racking, hardware troubleshooting, you believe that that's an industry that's going away, becoming obsolete, and you're wanting to shift into something else. The thing that immediately came to my mind was IT, working in IT for a company 
doing things like setting up computer systems, setting up the software for people, managing their email servers and, and working on security, all that type of stuff. So I think that right off the bat, that would be the thing that I would look into if I was in your position. So if I had been doing this for the past 10 years and I was trying to look at the easiest transition into another field, I think it would have to be IT. And I don't think that IT is a dying industry. There's, you know, it, it becomes consolidated sometimes, it gets outsourced sometimes, but dying, I don't think that IT is a dying industry. So that's something that I might look at going into. That would be the first thing that I would look at going into. Now, you also express some interest in programming, but it looks like you have second thoughts on it. You say, I'm not really looking to become a programmer, just trying to figure out a career path. So programming, in my experience, is a very mentally demanding career to go into. It requires a lot of effort, a lot of dedication. It's not something I think that you can do successfully if you're doing it half-heartedly. So if you're not totally bought in with the idea of becoming a programmer, and you're not willing to spend the time to learn all the concepts, to go and practice it for hours a day and become really proficient in it, I don't think you'll get to the point where you offer enough value to potential employers for them to employ you. So just know that going in, that if your goal is to become a programmer, it does require a lot of upfront work. It is a mentally demanding skill set to go into. Now you ask about specific languages, if this is the route that you want to take. I think that there's lots of good ones. So Python, Java, PHP, C Sharp, JavaScript is very popular. Any of those are good. If you go to a potential employer and they have a project in X language and you're really good in Y language, you can go and say, hey, I'm really proficient at this language, but I'm willing to learn other things. And if you really are proficient in one, they'll hire you on and you'll be able to transfer over and learn another one in, in a, a month or two. So it's not that big of a deal to an employer. They're going to be looking if you really have aptitude and drive to learn new things. So that's going to be probably what's most important to employers. Now, another thing I'll say about programming that I like about it, because it's it's a quality that exists in other fields outside of programming as well, that I think is often overlooked. Programming has demand, true, but there's a lot of careers that have demand. I look for something that's scalable, meaning the amount of pay that you get isn't directly tied to the amount of time you spend working. That's scalability in a, in a workplace. So Programming is an example of that because you can write a piece of software and either two people can use it or two million. You can have any amount of people use it. So if you go to a company and you write a piece of software that that company uses, all of a sudden you as one employee can have created something that have saved thousands of people at the company a lot of time and a lot of money. And what that does is create enormous value for you at that company. And likewise, you can create your own software that can scale and get on new users and become really valuable. That is scalability. Programming has that built in. When you're a data center operative, when you work in IT, usually your pay is directly tied to the amount of time you spend doing something. Scalability is something to look for when you're looking at career paths. Is the work you're doing tied directly to the amount of time that you spend doing it? Whatever career you're looking at, try to find something that it's scalable in some way that the amount of money you make isn't always tied directly to the amount of time you spend doing it. And another thing I'll mention, and this isn't just for you, Jack, this is for everybody. This is just some general advice here. The last thing I'll say on this whole job thing is you should look at your job as you're going to college, but you're being paid to be there. You should be learning something as you're there. You should be improving your skill set, improving your value. Your job is an amazing way to get an education and be paid at the same time. It's an incredible opportunity to do that. If you go to work and you're only earning money 
and you're not improving your skill set at all, I think that you're making a mistake. Every single year that you're at your job, you should be more marketable, more employable. You should be more valuable. Your resume should be constantly being improved and padded and having new things on it, new skill sets on it. If that's not happening, I see some people get in this trap where they're working at the same job year after year. They've been pigeonholed into some task that they have no way of learning anything new there. They're not improving their resume. They're there just for the paycheck. They might not make as much somewhere else, so they just continue to stay there. Changing jobs is scary, so they continue to stay there. And I view it like a muscle that is never exercised, a muscle that's just never moved. After a while, it will atrophy. And that's what's happening with your employability. That's what's happening with your skill set. So don't let yourself get into those situations where you're just stuck in one position and you're not improving your ability to earn more money later on. If you are in one of those situations, try to shift yourself out of it. Try to shift yourself into a position where you'll have greater personal growth potential, even if it was a little bit lower paying. That's the situation that I've been in before. I always go to positions where I come out and I feel like I am more valuable in the marketplace than when I entered that company. And if I enter into a position where it's not going that direction, it's not helping me out, it's just a paycheck, I've left companies in those positions. So that has happened before where I've shifted out of companies because of the lack of personal growth potential into places where I really feel like I increase my value. And that has been, I think, a, a good decision. Okay, that was a long question. I'll do a short one now. This is from Alter. He says, I find it interesting that your dad was a rental property investor. Did you decide to get more involved in dividends because you saw that rentals take a lot of work? That is a, a pretty solid guess, Alter. So I think you're you're mostly correct on that. I got firsthand exposure to seeing the amount of work that rental properties take. Now, I know that not every single situation is the same. I'm not trying to downplay rental properties by any means. I think that they're an incredible investment. I saw what they did with my my parents and the amount of wealth that they generated. But if you own older rentals that you don't have a, a management company taking care of them, they take a lot of work. They're constant work. You have renters that you're dealing with. Renters are people. Anytime that you have to deal with people, that's work. In any situation, when you're dealing with people, there's work involved. And you have renters to deal with. Most of them are fantastic. But every once in a while, you get a renter that is really difficult. They either don't pay you some months or they just damage the place and they don't want to pay for it. There's all sorts of issues that you have. So you have issues like that. You have things that randomly break in the apartments. So drains get clogged, uh, toilets leak. People don't report issues until it's already become a, a bigger thing and it causes more damage. You have all sorts of random things happen. In fact, just like a month or two ago, we had people living in our storage unit. So one of the rental apartments that my dad owns also has storage units and there was a couple living in it. They rented it out for the cheap price and then they used it as a place to just live while they did drugs. So they were druggies, they needed a place to go and they're living in our storage unit and then they stole electricity from a, a nearby outlet for those storage units. So this is a place that's not even made or approved to be live in, right? It's not even legal to live in it. So we of course had to kick them out and give them time to move out. They had nowhere to go. We had to tell them that they have to get out in a day or two or we're going to call the police and get them involved. And there's just events like that that happens. That doesn't happen all the time. That's a very rare event, but stuff like that happens with rentals. It never happens with dividend portfolios. I've never had druggies living in a storage unit owning a dividend portfolio. That doesn't come with it. I've never had a leaky faucet. I've never had a clogged drain. I've never had tenants calling me at night complaining about something. 
None of that happens when you own a dividend portfolio. So there are two different ways of investing. I think that both of them lead to great returns. One of them does require more work than the other. Now, having said that, I don't want to paint the picture that rentals are these you know, unbearable things that you can't do. So you can do them. Most people can handle rentals. It, the work is just mostly dealing with people, different complaints. Once in a while, you might have something really difficult to deal with. But the returns are also really good with rentals. So anytime that you own real estate, over time, it usually does really well. And it served my family really, really well. So I don't want to downplay it. There's also the factors of the places that we own are pretty old. So they require a lot more upkeep. If you buy a new rental and you screen for people really well, you'll likely have a lot less work to do. And there's always the option if you have it paid off to hire a management company. And then it's far more passive. The management company will deal with most of it. There are options to minimize your burden of work when you're dealing with rentals, but any way you spin it, it's more work than a dividend portfolio. Managing my portfolio takes very minimal work, and I could completely get rid of all of that work by investing in ETFs if I wanted to. So they both have their benefits. It's definitely a little bit more passive on the dividend side. Okay, well, that's all the time I have for you today. I have another episode coming out this weekend, so I will see you guys then.